I have a sign that I take around with me quite often, and it says, I will speak to anyone about anything free. And I hole up in places, and I sit there, and I just talk to random people about random stuff. People find that insane. (laughs) That I would want to talk to people I don't know. Because what speaking to someone you don't know is, is scary. It is an unknown. And we've become more and more afraid of that. And I think that is detrimental to our general well-being. Okay, Jimmy, look, slightly different audience, but a baked in one too. You've been around the traps on the podcast scene for a few years now. I just want to ask you, though, for people who are coming across you for the first time, well, A, what are you? What do you do? Because it's interesting, right? Like, people are watching. You might be popping up for the first time. That's happening presumably all the time for you. Do you sit back and say, I'm this, or is Jimmy Hunt just a continuum of change? Uh, definitely a continuum of change. I, I feel like my latest iteration is Wanderer. Um, I felt really at peace and at home with just wandering and encountering who and what I need to encounter as I go along. The, the, the proper answer that you're actually looking for and people want to know is uh, I gave myself a made-up name which is a mental health change maker. Uh, simply means that what I really want to do is create change in the space of an individual's mental health. Why do you have to make up a name like that? Where do we go in life wrong where we've got to reinvent names that have that seem to be the... Well, you can't live without that, for example, yet you've had to kind of create this name. You know, what's the deal there? Unpack that. Why are we in a position where there's not a million yous out there trying to support people? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's mental health advocates, for example, um, mental health campaigners, all of these things. But one of the things I realized early on is that there's no point actually talking about stuff unless it's creating change. Mm. And for so long, I just saw no movement in the mental health space. You know, that included the work I was doing. You know, I was doing stuff, but I wasn't seeing change. And so one of the things I did with, you know, like, okay, for example, I was a motivational speaker. And science research has shown that motivational and inspirational speakers are quite useless. They uh, inspire people until about the car park (laughs) on the way out. And so I've... I've kind of turned into a professional ranter um, (laughs) because the ranting, the way I do it in my talks, flicks switches in people, gets them to go, oh, oh, okay. Um, Tries to give them epiphanies, tries to give them insights into creating their own change. Well, on this podcast, I've been, it has iterations. At the moment, it's, as we know, on Audiana TV, I, I believe it's just going up on a couple Sky TV platforms as well, as well as being broadcast in the Pacific. So I don't say that to be like, yeah, I'm like, that's a really interesting space for me because we now have the opportunity to sit like we are in the middle of beautiful bush and just talk. And one of the things, Jimmy, that I've been trying to work out is there seems to be this historical thing of voyaging or exploring. You talked about the wandering, yet I don't see much of that being celebrated today. Okay, we might have the Instagram people, but they're still looking for the pick so that you at home on mass can get a little endorphin hit. You're, though, out there in real time doing real exploring. How much of that helps your mental health stay strong because you just completed a nationwide tour? You know what I mean? Like actually going out there and exploring, could that be a higher percentage of what we're actually talking about in terms of a healthy continuum? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, and so when we say exploring, it's like 
I barely left State Highway 1. So, <laughs> so like, it's not exploring on a, uh, you know, a physical sense. Yeah. It's more exploring on an internal sense. Okay. Um, now, first of all, I will acknowledge my privilege in this in that I am a male. But one of the things that happened along the way is that I would get people just hitting me up on Instagram saying, can I take you for lunch? Can I take you for dinner? Do you want to stay at my house? And I'm like, yes, of course. Mm. And I know that that's not, <laughs> uh, uh, that's not an available thing for, for a woman traveling by herself or something like that. But for me, I, I, I get to do that. And my photographer who was with me at the time kind of freaked out about it a little bit. He's like, who are we meeting? Who are these people? What are their names? And I was like, uh, so-and-so. I was like, all right, I'm Googling them. And then he goes, look, all right, they do this, they do this, they do this. I was like, yeah, I would have figured that out when I met them. Um, but he really needed the certainty of being able to know where he is going. And I love the feeling and the effect of being able to explore without needing to know. Yes. And so each of these people who are complete strangers to me that I end up staying with or meeting or having just a general chat with, they all lead me somewhere new and they all teach me something. You know, quite often they're like, oh, I want to listen to what you have to say. Like, yeah, cool. I'll repeat some of the same stuff that I repeat around the place. But, um, so often it leads to new discussions where I gain insights from them. And I find that exploring to be exciting and beautiful. So on the bit of, let's say, certainty, you know, we, we, and we're, we're definitely, should we shout out to the photographer? You know, I don't want yep. them sitting here thinking, hey, man, I like adventure too. <laughs> but there's this, there's this tension, right, that we're talking about. Certainty versus uncertain. I think when I unpack that a bit, and I think about it a lot, even as much as trading in a lot for a full-time wage, right? Yeah. Certainty, so that I know what's coming. Yeah. What is it that you're doing, though? I, I, have you said to yourself, maybe consciously, unconsciously, I'm okay with a bit of risk. I, I, actually, that is life, that I might bump into the wrong person, and that I will trust that I can, what, navigate my way through that? Yeah, and I mean, I, I will fully admit that I have chosen a uh, reasonable, unconventional life. And I find that that's what lights me up inside. If you made me go to a job for 10 hours a day, same job, you know, I, I would probably go a little crazy. If you made me live in the same house for a long period of time, I, I would go a little crazy. It is the uncertainty that lights me up. It's the, it's the unknown where I find potential and possibility. And so without that, I think I would lead an unfulfilled life. I'm just going to hold on that point for a second longer because what you just expressed, you know, one of the things I thought when I reached out to you is... Um, how does Jimmy tie into the specific thing that I'm doing? Right? Yeah. Because I've pivoted. I've been like... Yes, okay, I'm, I'm very I'm, white. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> no, but, but Jimmy, the way you're talking would have been how my early ancestors and actually all our early ancestors who sought the unknown had to go. An acceptable yeah. amount of risk, yeah. a little bit of knowledge, dealing with what, how far can I go? You, yeah. know, you referenced it. You just said, oh, well, I didn't go off far from State Highway 1. But that's a real insight that you had to make on the in the real time. Yeah. Imagine and not having Google Maps. Exactly. <gasps> but for most of the time we didn't. Exactly. And so that's what I'm I think I think what is interesting for me is, you know, you can go out there and do the talks, but do you think the problem is we're still seated and we're still confined in our own little whatevers, our offices, our I think that we've made a gradual shift over time to becoming more and more and more insular i mean you look at these houses around we live we live in you know quarter acre or eighth of an acre fenced off walled in 
life mm. with only the one, maybe by ourselves, or the one or two other people that inhabit that space with mm. us, where in the past we used to live communally. We, I mean, so you know I have a sign. I have a sign that I take around with me quite often, and it says, I will speak to anyone about anything free. And I hole up in places and I sit there and I just talk to random people about random stuff. People find that insane. (laughs) That I would want to talk to people I don't know. Because what speaking to someone you don't know is, is scary. It is an unknown. And we've become more and more afraid of that. And I think that is detrimental to our general well-being. We should be able to talk to people in a restaurant in the table next to us. We should be able to talk to people at the bus stop while we're waiting for the bus or any other scenario. But now we put headphones in. We're on our screens. We do anything we can in order to insulate ourselves from from the unknown and the general public around us. Mm. We're going to do something we don't normally do, me and you. We're going to go to a little break. Oh, <laughs> nice. This, we're in the television realm, and yes, I yes. applaud you, James, for um, holding back the, the colourful language that we sometimes speak together. Yes, I swear a lot. <laughs> but in this, you've, you've given me the thumbs up, and I, I have, have had a bit of anxiety about muzzling you. <laughs> I, I said, for years I've contacted you and said, let's do the podcast, and everyone said, what are you going to do with the swearing? And I said, well, look, if I tell him he can't, I'm not speaking to him. Yeah, but I probably wouldn't turn up in general but uh i'm also i'm also working on that myself okay yeah Yeah, well and and thank you so when we come back i'd love to just dip into um there's the stat that came out that one third of pacifica don't have access to um, reliable internet and they don't have access to smartphones on mass and one of the things that i've thought about is a lot of our communication is via these two platforms the internet and smartphone and I wondered if you might break down the continuum of mental health because for those yep. people who are watching wherever they are how much how much information I'll say that again how cool is it that we're able able to provide actual useful information like putting a name to a feeling so stay with us folks back with Jimmy Hunt muzzled in just a sec Okay, Jimmy, back. Still in beautiful nature. Um, everyone's just seen adverts, but for us, you just watched me quickly go around, check all the gear. I like the metaphorical stuff like that because I know we can edit, we can do things, we can make things look better than they really are in life. But I, I try and acknowledge these moments of we're just here. When you first sat on that chair, you fell over. I did fall over <laughs> that way. I had a massive sweat when we started, but we do this together, right? And there's something kind of cool and beautiful about that. Jimmy, like for people who are, you know, let's not let's not assume everyone is anywhere. Let's assume that someone might be watching this and they're like, what the hell is he talking about with mental health? I don't even know what that really means. A, what does that really mean to you? And B, you talk about the continuum a lot. Do you think we could just spend a couple of minutes just kind of breaking that down? Yeah, real simple. The term mental health is a bit broken. Um, we have we have two states of being in our Western society, which is mentally ill or mentally well. Um, but there's obviously a lot of grey area in between that. And when I say mental health awareness week, for example, people think mental illness awareness week. Twice on the news recently, I've seen uh, the anchors say that the person was suffering from mental health. And so the term mental health has gone a bit lost. It's moved towards the mental illness side more than the mental wellness side. And so I prefer the term mental fitness. Because people understand fitness inherently. They understand their physical fitness. The more you work on your physical fitness, the fitter you get, the more benefits you get out of the back of that, the less you work on it the more unfit you get and the more repercussions you have because of that. And your mental state works in the exact same way. So the goal is to become mentally fitter, but we also know if you do nothing with either of those fitnesses, they slowly move backwards. And that's where our society is at. 
we kind of have we just do nothing we're not taught the tools we're never taught as children how to deal with our thoughts our feelings that create our behaviors we're never taught how to deal with relationships or traumas and so we don't have the tools in our toolbox to be able to stop the slide backwards and so with fitness you inherently understand that there is nothing you will do that will teleport you up the continuum nothing nothing you can do at the gym is going to give you 30 kilograms on your bench press today doesn't work like that so we need to have small consistent increments over time in order to improve our physical fitness and our mental fitness and so the whole point is getting people to understand that concept and then getting people to engage in that concept and start looking after themselves consistently over time and I guess that's where the chasm opens right because there's external factors there's internal factors there's it's not a one-stop shop which is (laughs) what the what people love to kind of right this pill will fix you yeah but you just I like to think of it like it suppresses you and if you're not going to work on the root cause or at least explore that yeah then it's just gonna your body's telling you in other ways that it's yeah we're very good at treating symptoms and not treating causes mm, that's that's so true gosh I don't want to move on from that very good at treating symptoms and not treating causes because that sounds obvious but it's not it's not obvious because treating the the cause, well, it requires a bit of what you're doing, I think, when you're open to meeting strangers and the unknown. You know, it take, you have to risk, what, embarrassment? That it might yeah. be a bit of you? People don't like to think they're not perfect. Yeah. You know, we, we don't like to look at our, our, our flaws. But, like, you know, everyone, you know, has their own traumas. Mm. They've been through their own stuff. They've, they've lived a life. And to think that you're special because you have is not the case. Like, we have all gone through stuff. And it all it affects us all in, in, in different ways. And so when you've got, like, your anger, your frustration, your impatience, your jealousy, your envy, they are not problems. They're big flashing neon signs saying that something needs to change. You know, in your life or in your body. They are warning signs, but they are not problems. We don't treat anger by trying to remove the anger. Mm. We go in and find out what's making you so angry. Mm. And that's the same for depression or drugs and alcohol or anything like that. The simplest, simplest example is you, you know, if someone's addicted to heroin or pee or opiates or whatever, you know, just detoxing them off that particular drug doesn't never fixes their problem they end up relapsing they end up going back into the same situations with the same people because all they've done is treated the symptom of the addiction Mm. and not the cause of it could it be would it be fair to say let's just say broad strokes that depression is a signal to you that something's not right and it's a it's saying change of course depression is not a disease you do not catch it you are not born with it It is a symptom of a life lived. Um, it's like a limp. Yeah, it is like or a limp. A bad hip. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 any of those physical fitness analogies that mean that you are not optimal. You're not working optimally at the moment. There's a big difference in language when you say something like "I am depressed" versus saying something like "I currently." have depression there's a saying which is you know, I am uh, the two most powerful words in the universe for what we say after that creates our reality mm. when you say I am depressed you are internalizing that situation and you are just becoming it if you're like I'm currently suffering from depression because of this that the other thing like that is a temporary state that we can move ourselves out of, right. and that's the difference between the victim mentality and the empowerment mentality. Whether you're looking to the past or moving towards the future. So, Jimmy, just on that point, because sometimes I like it broken down. Is it would it be like saying to someone you love, not "I love you," because that's a direct statement? Would it just be like saying to someone that you love, "I love," and it's not the power of the word means something because sometimes I think we don't really get you know there's the NLP or the hypnosis and people kind of I think 
Well, it's a massive dog there. <laughs> People think, um, uh, oh, it's just, you know, whatever. Words are words. Don't get hurt by it. Yet we use it in other ways very powerfully. You have to tell people you love them. You yeah. can't just think that. Oh, yeah. So when you're saying, I am depressed, it means something because it does mean something, right? Well, that's it. Words are very powerful, and so are thoughts. And this is the, this is the thing that we understand now through neuroscience, that when you think a thought, you're sending neurons down neural pathways. Mm. The more you send them down particular pathways, the stronger they get. The less you send them down, the weaker they get. Mm. The stronger they are, the more likely they are. Just so you know, there's a big dog behind us, but... I'm not worried about big dogs. Hello, okay. big dog. Okay. <laughs> the more you send those pathways down, the stronger they get, the more likely they are to be your default pathway. And so that's what we're looking to do, is actually rewiring our brain through neuroscience through the way we think. And so... If you sit there and you say, I am love, and this is not, again, this is not some, some crazy hippie, you know, nonsense. This is actual neuroscience. If you, and this is a very, like, a very radical example, but if you sat there, you know, and meditated, I am love, I am love, I am love all week, at the end of the week, you would feel like far more love. If you sat and meditated on, I hate this, I hate that, for a week, at the end of the week, you're going to feel a lot worse than when you started. Mm. And it is it is literal neuroscience, which is so interesting. And just break down meditation for me, like, and I know I'm not trying to get you to give me the, the simplified thing, but I know over the past you've told me things like, yes, you could go to a float tank, or you could put earmuffs on and cover your eyes. Yeah. quiet space you've also told me that you could turn the music off on the way home and wind the window down you'll feel nature so when you talk about meditation what does Jimmy Hunt mean well I mean like there are uh, a multitude of types of meditation that work for a multitude of people but what we do know is that um, if you engage in those they have massively positive benefits my analogy for meditation that I'm using at the moment I like is, is that um, so we are in a really big maze, right? The maze is just crazy. It's a gigantic maze. Meditation is like being in the middle of the maze, taking out one of those little toy drones from your pocket and sending it up. And for the five minutes it's up there, you get to look over the maze, you get to understand where you are in the maze, and you're like, I need to go in that direction over there, and then there's a couple of turns there, but I need to go that way, and then you bring the drone down. It does not get you out of the maze. Meditation will not solve your problems, but what it will do is give you a perspective and understanding of your problems so that you can make better decisions towards getting yourself out of the maze. Mm. And that's what we're looking for. We're just looking for perspective and understanding because most of us spend our lives with our blinkers on looking so innately at the closest thing to us mm. that we fail to be able to see the greater picture. You know, it's so beautiful how you did that, but it's also everything wrong with TV. I'm looking at this timer, it's got two minutes to go and you're explaining meditation. I'm like, that's... That's the problem with our world. You can't be tied into this. But anyway, we're trying. No, no, but you can be. Like, <laughs> like we live in this world. Like, I'm not saying throw away all your possessions and go wandering. <laughs> I'm saying talk to the person at the bus stop. I'm not saying don't watch this on TV. Mm. I'm saying be aware of when, you're, when you've got your blinkers on and make sure you're taking them off reasonably occasionally <laughs> I like that let's go to a break Jimmy it's like you've just dished us awesome information I'm sure some of this is in your book we're going to talk about your book in the next segment Inside right. Out um, I just had a vision of a new book for you which is basically Good. you in the middle of a maze and that top down view of you trying to find your way out I can see it it's the cover of my next book <laughs> stay with us team back with Jimmy Hunt in just a second Okay, Jimmy Hunt, look, I just want to thank you again. Um, I always get this feeling when you 
visit me on the podcast that life is not easier but it's a bit more not meaningful but we're making an effort to put a bit of context to something that feels very massive you know I have talked to you in the past about where do we sit with believing in something versus this you know very logical world we seem to be in which is illogical sometimes but we kind of we still believe in something I think we call it something different you know we believe in an algorithm that delivers us whatever online we believe that food will just appear when we go to the supermarket we trust on the deepest level it's just the things we're trusting I think oh well I I think I'd rather trust in something I can't explain and I can't explain an algorithm so I don't really know what I'm saying but when I sit with you it feels very human feels like we're talking about things that you know most people who are making an effort in life will get and I appreciate you for that Jimmy let's talk about your book Inside Out um I know it's got the official statement on the back, but how do you describe it in your own words? We're in a bit of trouble as a society. We know this. Uh, We've seen it through countless studies, through the official statistics. We know things aren't going great. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's kind of the same as the fitness metaphors. Like, if you do nothing, stuff gets worse. All we have to do is put a little bit of context around it and then start making constant conscious choices to mitigate those those things. You know, a simple example is that um, the World Health Organization says by the year 2025, 80% of the people on this planet will suffer from a mental health condition in their lifetime. Now, that's a confronting statistic. But if I said, look... By the year 2025, 80% of people on the planet will be obese in their lifetime. And you'd go, oh, okay. Well, I could, maybe I understand how that's going to happen. But for me, that's not going to happen because I'm going to uh, play rugby. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to watch YouTube videos. I'm going to hire a personal trainer. I'm going to do all of these things to make sure I'm not part of that statistic. Well, the analogy is the same for that mental health statistic, we do not have to be part of that 80% that suffers from a mental health condition in our lifetime. But if we do nothing, I suspect that'll be 90% and not even 80%. And so the idea is when you are aware of something, then you can put things in place in order to mitigate that. When you're aware of something and you want the outcome to be different, then you start making choices that are different in how you engage in society, how, uh, how you learn and you want to find as many tools as you can. And you know, having a framework to be able to move forward from that is a very powerful way to be able to do it. Mm. And, and w- would you say it's fair that your book will outline ways? W- will you be spending time with people in book form? Because it's a journey, right? It's a journey to kind of like integrate these things in your life. Is that why it's a book? Because we can talk for hours and hours, but at the end of the day, they've got this in their hand. They can open it when they need to. So as I said earlier, I'm a mental health change maker. And the thing about a podcast like this, a TV show like this, is that you can't change the world in an hour. Like, no one's going to leave this and go, oh my God, I'm so much better. Thank you, Jimmy Hunt. Please blow my mind. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. The most I can ever hope to do on a podcast like this is just have a switch flick in someone's mind and go, oh, I understand something now that I didn't understand before. And now they go away and they have a plan, an outline, a framework to be able to change their life over time. And a podcast is not the most efficient way to do that a book is a much more efficient way to do that this this first chapter in there is how to read this book (laughs) and it and it outlines how you should be going through a book not just my book but i think in general what how you should be highlighting things how you should be looking for treasure how you should be looking for things that flick switch or change your life and then how to uh write them down and then start applying them to your life to actually create that change Mm. because 
what we're guilty of as humans, and you're, a, you're guilty of providing it, is an excess amount of knowledge. And we go around and we collect knowledge from everywhere. Some of the smart, you know, not some of, the smartest people on the planet are providing knowledge for everybody. We collect it, we grab it, and then we do nothing with it. It's no point knowing if you're not doing. And so my book uh, happens to be set out in a way, I think, that helps people to collect the knowledge but then turn it into action. Turning it into action. Jimmy, if we just take a sidestep for a minute, you know, heavily engaging you as the mental health person, um, how does it feel writing a book? What did your family say? I mean, presumably, are you, do you come from a line of authors? <laughs> no. Did the, you know, at what point do you sit back and say, damn, I'm, I'm doing this thing? So this is my third book. Mm. And uh, only at the launch of this third book did I start referring to myself as an author. Mm. Took, me th- took me three books to become an author. Writing books is hard. <laughs> it's, uh, it's physically hard. Um, to sit there at a desk and type for that long and concentrate for that long. It is for me at least. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful way for someone to really collate, organize, um, think, rethink, check, rethink their thoughts. Because if you're not an author, you don't usually do that usually have a thought and you just think, this is my thought because it's my thought. But then to actually have to go through and break down your thoughts is a a powerful and and, and cool process. Mm. Um, And, you know, I I had, especially my first book, um, I had a massive case of imposter syndrome. Who am I to write a book? Why would anyone want to listen to my words? Mm. Um, I got less on the second and less on the third, but it's still there. I'm like, who am I? Mm. I'm just a dude that wanders around with no qualifications, nothing, and yet I'm telling people what to do. Who am I to tell someone what to do? Mm. I'm so proud of this book, and I am so overwhelmed from the reactions that I've had so far. A woman wrote me today, she's been on an addict on drugs and alcohol for 19 years, and... Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, not just me, and my book are what, as she's now, she's three months sober now, and she's going, going strong. Mm. Like, what a beautiful, what a beautiful thing to be able to contribute to, yeah. even if, no matter what size my thing was at. Mm. And this is the thing, is that we all feel like, who are we to say anything? And I just so highly encourage anybody, anywhere to share their story because it will resonate with some people. Yeah. And even if it only resonates with one person, what a beautiful gift to be able to give. Mm. These things don't seem that self-obvious until you're doing it. You know, you get a really good feeling about, um, like we're doing now, you know, there's more than just content being made now. At least that's what I feel like I'm trying to enact. You know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's like a campfire. We get to these are the fire, you know, and we get to like dip into them and talk about this other thing and connect and, you know, and also there begins a tradition out of it. Like this is our fourth or fifth round and we do it like once a year or every twice, you know, once every couple years. And that's not, that's like, if you look at the pace of the world, that's a, there's nothing in that that suggests it should have any value. Yeah. Content is daily. Content is like, get your vlog up, you know, show your grind and hustle. Yet we've had, six interactions over our life an hour let's say each and it's like man there's something in that type of relationship too right yeah absolutely and this is the the point is there's something in every relationship and we've got to start connecting back into those relationships because we outsource our relationships to uh youtube videos and you know and podcasts i'm not getting down on it there's there's value there's value there but like I mean, you asked me to come on this particular episode a couple of times, mm. and I kind of said no a couple of times because we weren't going to do it in person. Yeah. We, you wanted to do it on Zoom, and yeah. yes, there's mitigating circumstances. I live in different countries yeah. and places, and 
COVIDs and stuff. But I want our interaction to be this. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is powerful. And we need to advocate for more of it. Yeah. Not just between a podcast host and a podcast yeah, guest, right. but between two people just putting chairs in a park yeah. and discussing yeah. real stuff yeah. that really impacts the, them and society at large. 100%. Okay, we'll go to the last break. And, Jimmy, when we come back, I don't know, something popped in my mind. Let's, let's dare to think about how good it gets and dare to think about how bad it gets because <laughs> i've i've seen both in you over the years which is like oh, yeah. and it's going to it's going to custard yeah. and then sometimes i get this bit which is like oh but you know there's still reason to hope and there's that tension that i never quite know what to make of everything so stay with us i really <laughs> do mean that back in just a sec <laughs> Let's start with the dark and work our way to the light. And I mean okay. that metaphorically. Yep. I think most people have an idea of where the darkness goes because obviously the statistics would show that many people go to a very dark space and when there's when there's no view to see that way out, people act accordingly or whatever that is. Yep. Um, you know, when you're looking and trying to understand the abyss, Jimmy, is there a... Is there tools you're using to make sure it doesn't suck you in? Because looking at statistics, looking at people and interacting with people who maybe aren't having such a good uh, time in life, can it become infectious? Can can you find yourself spiraling by looking at a world that seems to be through some type of lens burning? Uh, me personally? Yeah. No. Hmm. Um, and... I do think the world is burning. You know that I've said, I've said we're in a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, and yet I sit here happier today than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I laugh because, could you break that down? It's, <laughs> I don't, it's like yin and yang. It you know, is. There's no shade of grey. It's just yin and yang. It what, is. What, what do you mean by that? I mean it comes down to one's own perspective and understanding. I've come to an understanding that I cannot save the world. I used to try. I used to, like, genuinely just want to save everybody and everything. First of all, that's unrealistic. Um, but most of all, it's unsustainable for my own person. And so what I've ended up getting into is I'm not here to save anybody. Mm. I've gone the complete opposite direction. My only job is to save myself. And interestingly, that sounds selfish. I'm only in it for me. But the definition of selfish is to put yourself first to the detriment of others. But I am not doing that. I am putting myself first for the benefit of me, but also for the benefit of others. Because as I have put myself first, as I have tried to gain more perspective and more understanding, more compassion, more empathy, more all of those good things, I have become a better human. I've been able to share what I've learned. Um, I have been able to contribute more and more effectively, more efficiently and better to society. We look at society as this, this big entity, but all it is is the amalgamation of individuals and how we choose to live. Mm. And if me doing what I do gaining perspective and understanding can help somebody else gain some perspective and understanding or start them on their own journey to, to doing their own thing, then I've made society better. And even if I only do one, uh, that person might do a million. But he wouldn't have done a million had I not done the one. Yeah. And that's why we think we're insignificant. Um, but the ability to, to help one person literally could change the world. Mm. And so 
one of the things about society is that, when individuals, is that we only change when we're in severe discomfort. When we're in discomfort, like, like let's say I'm sitting here and I don't have this jacket on and I'm cold, I would just harden up and I'd just brace my way through it and would do the interview. But if I'm actually in severe discomfort, then I get up and I go and get a jacket from the car. I make a change. A few years ago, I literally said on national TV, I hope that our suicide rate triples. And everyone's like, Wah! you can't say that. I'm like, yeah, I can, because right now, with our current suicide rate, we're not in enough discomfort for us to make wholesale changes as a society. You know, COVID put us in severe discomfort, and we made wholesale changes as society. We have we produced less greenhouse gas in the last six months than before the Industrial Revolution. When we're in severe discomfort, we change. And so as our society gets worse, it is going to force change. It will either hit a tipping point and we fall off the cliff. If that is the case, there is nothing I can do about it. So there's no point worrying about it. If it gets to a point where it's such severe discomfort that we all get together and go, wow, we did wait a little bit too long, but we're in a collective discomfort, let's really all work together, yeah. then, then we're going to come out of it infinitely better. Those are the two scenarios I see happening because I don't see us just living a nice, comfortable life for the next few generations. Yeah. Are you, and maybe this is slightly irrelevant, but do you, are you pondering how much our kind of digital connection has, you know, with our feelings and how we might opt not to meet the person at the bus stop because now we can have these, you know, like you said no a couple of times because you must be feeling that there's not enough emphasis put on the human connection and the algorithm of our brains towards each other. Is murder bad? Yes. Okay. So um, a guy goes in, mass shooting, kills 30 people. That's bad. Yes. Right. A guy pulls out his gun and shoots the, the guy killing all the people. He just murdered him. Mm. Is that bad? <laughs> so the guy kills the... The guy that the killed... Killer. 30 people and he saved hundreds of others I mean when I'm really critically thinking about it it feels weird to say yes but I don't know what other thing to say exactly no. right yeah. so, so, so the point is the act itself is really good or bad the intention behind the act is what determines its goodness or badness the thing like social media, like screens, like communications, like TV, they are not inherently good or bad. It is only the way that they are used. And again, if we, like, a lot of people watch The Social Dilemma. And there's a little thing on there about a guy who created the like button. He did it so he could show love and appreciation to someone who posted some content. He had no idea that little kids would kill themselves because they weren't getting enough likes. The act of the like button is not inherently good or bad, but the intention behind it is very, very, very important. So, when, sorry, when you say I want to catch up with you in person, are you are, are you knowing that we're easier to find a mutual intent if we're together? Exactly. Okay. And so, but we can do that online, but we have to be conscious and set that intent. Because most of the time, like the online stuff, it's like we're also checking our phone at the same time. We're also doing this. We're also doing this. We're not engaged in it. And, you know, that can lead to bad outcomes because the intention is different than if we're in this. And we have to look at each other. Mm. We, we can't disconnect here. We cannot, we cannot look away. Yeah. And so the idea is to be conscious of everything you're doing, or as much as you possibly can, and then be able to make those constant conscious choices off the back of that awareness.
And when you are in that mode, you start, you know, improving your life um, because you're improving your situations. Jimmy, I'm the worst interviewer for promoting your book, but... That's right, I'm the worst author for promoting my book. <laughs> Let's quickly give a few plugs to where people can find it if they would like to search for Inside Out. and Go to jimmyhunt.com. Easy as that. <laughs> Easy as that. Go to jimmyhunt.com and we'll send it to you. Jimmy, what's the next day? The, what, what's the uh, next adventure for you? Where are you wandering next? Have, is that can you even plan that, or is that something you just have to feel out? I'm just getting less and less able to plan things. Um, my tour, uh, I, I'm halfway through. I've got two more legs on the tour. Uh, Northland and um, uh, basically this bottom of the North Island. And have I organised those talks yet? No. Um, are they happening in a couple of weeks? Yes. Um, and it'll all work itself out, and the right people will turn up, and the right things will happen. Um, so yeah, like if you want, to, if you if you're interested, follow me on social media. I make it up as I go along, and I'll tell you about it there. That's so beautiful, Jimmy. Thank you as always for taking time for me and the audience. Um, always good to you know just talk you know just connect and talk and i hope our it's going to be weird if we're like 80 and we should we aim for that you know i want to i've got no problem with that that we find a random place to podcast team i just want to quickly say before we wrap up that i'm going to try something in this podcast i'm going to do an exclusive bit of content with jimmy at the end so if you want to see that visit patreon.com forward slash please blow my mind I know it feels weird me selling but look this is all just us doing our thing and this is I'm going to try and push this so exclusive couple minutes with Jimmy coming up Um, if you don't want to join Patreon but you still want to see it just email me and I'll send it to you anywhere I promise okay but this is just for those who instead of buying a coffee might come and support the podcast thanks Jimmy thanks everyone for watching and we will see you next time see ya Um, Jimmy, have you got a Patreon? No. Okay, well, I just set up this whole Patreon. I've got three Patreon people. So Three? Three. I like it. Yeah, Chris, James, and Daniel yeah. getting the exclusive content. I finally be able to give something back to them. Yeah. Um, Hello, you three. <laughs> this is very personal. Yeah, as extra value. Hi, I'm Jimmy. <laughs> the worst bit uh, is you don't even get paid for any of this. I don't give a fuck. I can swear on Patreon. Yeah, yeah the fucks are back. <laughs> so can I. <laughs> Fucking A. Um, look, I've just done a I'll tell you what, we'll add value to them um, uh, if you would like my book for free send me an email jimmy oh. jimmyhunt.com say you're uh, one of the three people on patreon and i'll send you the digital versions for free the audio book the epub version and the pdf over over delivering over and delivering um, i like it jimmy i thought permission to go deep with you oh, fucking when do we not uh, true that true yes. that well we had to kind of stay at some surface on the telly and we're just exploring that as you know you were like hey man i'm proud of you for doing your tv thing and whatever you know we're just trying to navigate in real time jimmy when it's all said and done the deepest meaning you can grasp is it something like a god or is it that we're just meat sacks rolling around from today what is your best analysis of that like the deepest. What the fuck, man? Yeah, well, I mean, this this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the unknown. Stop trying to figure it out. Mm. Like, because in the end, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. And, the, like, the one thing I do know is that we are connected. Yeah. Like, we're connected on an energetic level. You can see it through, like, common vernacular when people are like, oh, I really like your vibe. Like, we just say that. Mm. What it means is I really like the frequency you're vibrating at right now. Like, we can feel each other. Yeah. You, we can tell when people are sad because they vibrate differently. We can, we can understand that. And that vibration, that energy, when you look into quantum mechanics, that it's, it's not just us. Mm. <laughs> you know, this chair is vibrating. Like, the universe is vibrating. And it's fucking complicated. Yeah. Um, and I don't pretend to even remotely understand it. But what I know is that it's all connected. And I'm happy to just leave it there. Yep. And is a great leave it there because 
that's exactly how I feel when I catch up with you. That what happens is I think we all get this thing of what 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 are we trying to do? What you know? What's what are we trying to plan in? And and actually, I think it's quite simple. You know, find people you like to be around, or put put yourself in a position to be around people that are that are you know just want to hang out with you and eat some sausages and talk shit. You know, yeah. and and because that's what we did for most of history. That's what and and. I don't know if we look back at it and think that. I think we look back at it and think, collectively, they were dumber, they were less happy, they didn't brush their teeth, you yeah. know. But yet, if you look at the jaw structure of our ancient ancestor, they didn't have crooked teeth. They were better breathers. They were, you know. They, if you look at the anthropologists that came with the Cook expedition, and you read their diaries, which are very interesting, mm. they said that the Maori had the best teeth they had ever seen yeah. they said the Maori had the best physique that they'd ever seen and one of the best social structures that they'd ever seen the fathers um, looked after the children as much as the mothers the children sat in on the council meetings you know like when I say we I don't mean me as part of the Maori at all but we had it we had a lot more stuff sorted out back then mm. and yes we are collectively more intelligent now but are we wiser mm. and what is more important yeah yeah it's like we're a calculator but the cool thing about the abacus is it could work in the rain something like that eh yeah and like don't get me wrong like i like the fact that i can make phone calls from my watch um, you know, like, there's some smart motherfuckers doing some really interesting shit, right? Um, I, I don't want to, I'm not throwing all this stuff in, but there's a balance here. Yeah. Um, and again, it comes back to that understanding of, um, where to make the choices in the right places. Mm. Um, and I will trade some intelligence for some wisdom and yep. try and balance that out. Yep. Yep. I wonder if that's what people are grappling with, you know? They're trying to balance the untapped potential of knowing a lot of things versus... Yeah, I'm actually, yeah. um, actually going to write, uh, write a note because I'm going to write an article about the balance between intelligence and wisdom. Nice. Um, because our society, like, you know, we said, like the Maori of 300 years ago had a lot of wisdom yeah. and not much intelligence. Yeah. And... Today, we have a lot of intelligence and not much wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's that wisdom that presumably pulls you back from that really dark spot, right? To, to be able to navigate when you can't see, for example. Um, yeah, like, much. but I mean, even, even less that is like it doesn't allow you to get to that dark spot. Mm, right. You know, one of my favorite pieces of wisdom is you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. In the green, grand scheme of things, everything is fucking unimportant. I, practically everything. And yet we uh, assign importance to so much shit. Like you might think, you know, um, you don't, but you might. Like you might think this podcast is important. In the grand scheme of things, it's not. Yeah. You know, your job is important. It's not. Your car, your van, your drive, it's not. Like, you know, just so many things are unimportant. Like, even, you, you know, even your wife, in the grand scheme of things, not that important. <laughs> well, I know for a fact, I had a wife that I loved very, very much, uh, and then she fucking cheated on me and left. And then that allowed me to find another new partner mm. who was infinitely better for me. You know, and so, yes, your wife is important. Um... But in the grand scheme of things, if she cheated on you and left, she, it's actually not that important. Yeah. Yeah. But having the perspective and the understanding on that is very hard, unless you have really practiced and worked up to something as big as understanding that. We can't take up too much time because we just did a podcast, but this feels like more of a podcast. <laughs> James, let me These just are, There's only three you. people watching this. Well, they can, they now, can watch as long as they goddamn even, like. I've just set a new one up, five bucks, and I've... Play them all of this stuff too. Cool. Um, let me just ask you some quick fire rounds. Uh, last time you were wrong about something? 
Fucking constantly. <laughs> Last time. Uh, my favorite um my favorite quote on that is is strong views loosely held. I'm happy for people to make me fucking smarter, uh or wiser and and, and point out where where I'm you know wrong. Mm-hmm. Happy. Last time you were scared? Um this my book launch. <laughs> True. You know, forever scared of not selling enough copies, you know, not helping enough people. You know, always something that I'm constantly working on. Relationship with death? Oh, I love death. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I got no problem with death. Like, I think that's a book cover. That's a yeah. book, eh? I love death. <laughs> I, um, I am just, I'm so at peace with everything. I just have, if, if, if I just, if, <laughs> if that dog mauled me to death right here, fuck it. Mm. I'm okay. Probably for another day, but I've been watching a few lectures from a guy called Sheldon, somebody. He talks about that death anxiety. Oh, yeah. Massive, that massive if you, thing. If you don't make peace with that, we could die <laughs> not in five minutes, not in ten minutes, but now. Yep. Then you have an anxiety from that, and yep. it manifests in shittier ways. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, I'm, grab, I'm not grappling with it because I haven't thought about it enough, and I haven't learned enough. Um, but definitely it's an interesting prospect because it makes sense that you'd think... If you're trying to delay death, then you would invent gods. Yeah, you, well, if you're trying to delay death, you do all sorts of fucking weird shit that doesn't doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, and when you're when you're okay with it, you just live in the now. Well, also, it's weird that we. I mentioned this to another friend, and they look at you like, "Fuck, you just mentioned death. Are you alright?" Yeah. Um, and I had to say, look, I'm. I have to be quite explicit. I say I'm a curious person. I'm strong f- physically and mentally. Yeah. Because I want to not give any confusion. But this is but this is okay. So this is cool. Like you you are in um, the Pacifica community. Like basically, the indigenous cultures of so many countries understand death so much better than our white dumbasses. <laughs> like it's the Western culture that has demonized death. The indigenous cultures had a beautiful relationship with death. They understood it was a natural cycle, a part of the whole ecosystem, and it just was. We're the ones that have demonized it and put these taboos on it so we can't even talk about it. Mm. And people freak out. You're right. When you try and talk about it, they, people don't like it. I think you're trying to ask for help like a blink twice, you know? <laughs> And I always say to people, hey, man, just so you know, if I need help, I'll ask for help. But I, in the last few years, I'm not sure. You know, we have a version of ourselves that we see and we think we project. And I've just not been sure how people actually take me, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I think of myself in a way and I try and live up to that value. And maybe you do too, but people always see you in a way or they attach extra things or they read in. And one of the things that I think people do with me is, and this isn't, whatever is they mistake the kindness for weakness and so if I'm saying something kind they'll be like ha you weren't onto it to see an opportunity there it's like no I probably would have called you a cunt but I chose not to you know I I didn't think of you in the lowest possible way but see I'm not even convinced that that's right so I'm not going to get too lost in that it's just a it's a journey I think the wisdom you talked about is something I'm really keen to learn ironically for me it's going to Come next year, I'm doing a master's in this breathing stuff I was telling you. Yeah. Because one of the former guests, Professor Schofield, said, Grant. Yep. I know, he Grant. He said, You've been learning, you just don't have a qualification. He referenced the podcast. He said, Let me help you so that you can be the guy people have on you, your podcast. That's great. Yeah. I love Grant. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's good um, insight for him for you. Yeah. I. That, that feeds back into the imposter syndrome. I, yeah. I get people asking me quite often, "Oh, so you are, are you a psychologist? Hmm. Um, you know what? What?" I was like, "No, hmm. no, I don't have to be." Yeah. And it took me a while to get over that. Like, only someone with a psychology degree is allowed to speak on mental health. Hmm. Well, first of all, if you go look at that fucking curriculum, uh, it's not up to scratch. Yeah. Um, so. Like I take I take anyone with only a psychology degree with a grain of salt. Mm. Um, like I'd much prefer you told me who you've read, uh, who you've spoken to, yeah. uh, how many people you've spoken That's to, uh, what you've done on yourself. Yeah. Like I, I I'd much prefer that. Um, like a long runner, like an ultra marathon runner. You can't fake it because they put in the kilometers and you went around the country and you're doing it. Well, and that's just it. And if you sit down and speak with me for 10 minutes, you know, I'm not, I'm not faking it. I just speak from my heart, from my experience. And 
this is the other thing about imposter syndrome is you're as good as you need to be for this moment. Like, you know, you don't have to, like, if they need, like, someone with eight degrees and, well, go speak to the world fucking expert on it. Don't fucking speak to me on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if that's what you need, go get it. Yeah. But I'm here right now and I am all I need to be right now. Fucking A, Jimmy Hunt. That was awesome doing this little segment. Hope you all enjoyed that. Um, let's wrap it here. Uh, Jimmy, just quickly, they can follow you on... Oh, you already did that. You said... Yeah, the Jimmy, Jimmy Hunt, Hunt on Jimmy social Hunt. media. Um, um, any, any, no, let's wrap it here. We don't need to finish with a nah, shebang. Because we we'll talk it. all fucking day. Yeah, fucking hell. People, I'm out. See you, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so good.